0: This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu.
1: I'm Lisa Sewell, and I teach in the English department, and I teach this class um, that we call, for lack of any creativity, the Literary Festival class, Um, and we teach it together. And Alan Drew is the director of the Literary Festival, and it's great to see you all here at our first reading um, of the semester. We're really excited to have C.D. Wright here uh, to start things off. I just want to thank some people who have helped make this event possible, some other departments. Um, In addition to the English Department and the College of Arts and Sciences, um, the Literary Festival is supported by Irish Studies, Gender and Women's Studies, Africana Studies, Valdee Library, the Honors Program, the Villanova Writing Center and Modern Language and Literature. So I just want to um, thank all those programs and departments um, for their support. Um, and I just want to also let you know about the next couple of readings that are coming up that I hope you'll come back for. Um, the first one is on Tuesday, February 21st, Juan Felipe Herrera, another poet will be here. And he'll be reading in Falvey Library at seven o'clock. And um, after that, on March 13th, um, Hugo Hamilton, who is our Heimbold Professor of Irish Studies, um, this year we're coordinating with Irish Studies, and the Heimbold Professor is reading as part of our series, and Hugo Hamilton um, will be visiting our class. And that will be upstairs in the President's Lounge. So um, because we have this class, we have um, students who are going to introduce C.D. Wright tonight, students who have spent a lot of time thinking about her work and um, talking about it in class. And I'm going to introduce them now, Emma Delvecchio and Jeffrey Hall, will introduce C.D.
2: Good evening, everybody. Emma and I, on behalf of the class, are so happy tonight to introduce C.D. Wright. Uh, With a career spanning over 30 years, Wright has won numerous awards and accolades, including a Guggenheim Fellowship, a MacArthur Fellowship, and a Griffin Poetry Prize for her 2008 work, Rising, Fallen, Hovering. Her latest work, one with others, received a National Book Award nomination and won the National Book Critics Circle Award. In this work, she visits a time of great unrest in our nation and addresses issues such as race and gender, against the backdrop of a divided nation during the civil rights movement and the Vietnam War. She evokes national and personal memories that resonate with readers of all generations. One with others, A Little Book of Her Days, is a compelling book-length poem that cannot be categorized in any particular genre. Part narrative, part documentary, part memoir, Wright's book is historical, lyrical, haunting, and beautiful.
0: Critic Joel Brower has said, C.D. Wright belongs to a school of exactly one. One with others makes Brower's claim come to life. It's like nothing I've read. It's a patchwork quilt of memory and pain paying tribute to V, a civil rights advocate and Wright's flawed and heroic friend. Although V makes one with others pulse with life, the struggle for African American equality in C.D.'s native Arkansas is its driving force. Even though I was born in 1989 and bred in a white suburb of Chicago, On the train ride it took to read one with others, I knew the fear and contradictions of V's world. The blatant dehumanization of racism leapt off the pages. The honesty was uncomfortable at times. I would close the book and turn to a neighbor, dying to give voice to what I had read. I knew if I did, they too would feel uncomfortable. How do you describe the passage in which, desperate to escape his pursuers, a teen jumps off a highway overpass, permanently jamming his knees? Can you casually explain the excerpt in which a father is forced to take cover in a thorn bush, bleeding as he avoids an angry mob awaiting his son's release from jail? I didn't know how to start talking about these things. I only knew I had to. One with others creates a dialogue between its pieced anecdotes and news clippings. It then inflamed that dialogue in me. I hope it has the same effect on you. Please join me in welcoming C.D. Wright. Mm -hmm.
3: Thank you. That was, that was really nice. That was really nice. I liked listening to that. <laughs> um, I am just going to read from uh, one with others, and it is kind of of a piece. So I'm pulling little pieces out, and um, I think it still um, will be clear to you what's going on. And I'm probably going to foreground uh, my friend V, since the book, uh, the impulse of the book was to write a tribute to her. Uh, but it ended up being also very much about that place and that time. Um, I met her when I was a teenager. Um, She was a a totally iconoclastic, irate, hilarious, unsubduable, dazzlingly literary, smart, self-taught woman living in the Arkansas Delta with her husband, with whom she was altogether incompatible and their seven children. When her town exploded in 1969 over racial divisions, she stepped up, stepped forward, crossed over, so to speak. So ultimately, my book became a reckoning with those times through the cracked lens of that particular historical moment in that locale. So this was a year following uh, King's assassination and of uh, 42 miles from Memphis and I, well, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> it smells like home, she said, dying, and I, what's that you smell, V, and V, dying, the faint cut of walnuts in the grass, my husband's work shirt on the railing, the pulled barbecued evening, the turned dirt. Even in this pitch I can see the vapor-lit pole, the crepe myrtle not in shadow, my sweet Betsy, that exact streaked sky, the mongrel dog being pelted with rain, mine eyes pelted, all fear overcome, at last, no scent. That's what she said, dying in the one-room apartment in Hell's Kitchen. I came in by the old road from Memphis, the old military road, across the Iron Bridge. No one in the field, not a living soul. I drove around with the windows down, the red buds in bloom, sky a discolored chenille spread, weather generally fair. The marchers step off from the jailhouse at Bragg Spur, 817 a.m. More police than reporters, more reporters than police. The self-described minister of the invaders, 31, and five others have begun their trek. Sweet Willie Wine's walk against fear is on the move. The threat, they say, is coming from the east, of the six Negroes walking to Little Rock and the white woman driving a station wagon. It was something you came through that. It was invigorating. It was the most alive I ever felt in my life. FBI followed me for a long time, stringers for the Gazette and the Appeal. Trailed me for a year. Once every 10 or 12 years, I will get a collar. I used all of my life. I told my friend Gert, you've got your life until you use it. Her former husband. I'd come home from work, and she would be in a rage, and I just couldn't understand it. They were a poor match, he says so to this day, she said so then. They barely tolerated one another, but they were Catholic, another error bred in the bone. If he looked at her and she looked at him, in nine months she was back at the lying in. My best guess, she woke up in a rage, eight days a week. Her friends, the musician, the poet, the actor, Gert, she taught me how to live. Now she has taught me how to die, and I... She was my Goomba, my Rafiki. It was the honor of my life to know her, honor of my life. A man known as Skeeter his whole life. Oh, yeah, I remember her. She celebrated all her kids' birthdays on the same day. I talked to a number of people in person, on the phone, mostly the phone, when I could get anyone to talk to me. I made so many calls. Can we talk later? Because I'm trying to cook for my family. He's not here now. He's fishing. I've got to go to the hospital to see my brother. He's about to pass. I've got to go to Memphis. I've got to work the night shift out at the Big Pen. I worked there since the plant shut. Can we talk later? I'm on neighborhood watch and the kids are walking out. There's no food here. I'm left holding the baby. You'll have to speak to the hand. This was my rest day. He's fishing. I'm working at the poles. I'm on pole watch. I've got to go to Little Rock for my checkup. My pressure's gone up. Since he got laid off, he's always fishing. When he can't go home, he's home watching the fishing channel. So, how is the fishing? Oh well, you know it's lost. Lots worse elsewhere. The only thing for sure were the prices and the temperatures. Two pounds of oleo cost 25 cents, and five cans of Cherokee freestone peaches are one dollar. The Cosmos Club president held a tea at her lovely lakeside home. Two more big tree boys make fine soldiers. A rolling stone was found in the bottom of his swimming pool. Rufus Thomas and his bear cats will headline at the Negro Fair, and Miss Teenage Arkansas, a comely young miss, is saluted once again for her charm and pulchritude. Sunshine Fresh Hydrox Cookies, one pound for 59 cents. The assistant warden at 300 pounds is the one identified for administering the strap at the Arkansas Pen, a self-sustaining institution. Several say they were beaten for failing to meet cotton quotas. Others, more often than not, did not know why they were beaten. One testified to more than 70 beatings. The strap is not in question. In question is when it is to be administered. The river is impounded by the lake. Below the lake the river enters the lowlands. It slithers through cypress and willow and the air itself cloudy or clear, stirring with smoke or malathion, if you get my drift, must not be construed to be indivisible, no more than blood. There's black blood and white blood, there's black air and white air. This includes the air in the tires blowing out over the interstate between town and river. The air that riddles the children when a crop duster buzzes a schoolyard. The air that bellows from the choir of robes when the very reverend pillow bids be seated. And even the air socked from the jaw of the champ, born 17 miles west in Sand Slough, when he took that phantom punch the year in which this particular round of troubles began. Today, gentle reader, the sermon once again, segregation after death. Showers in the a.m., the threat they say, is moving from the east. She had a brain like the reading room in the old British Museum. She could have donned fingerless gloves and written Das Kapital while hexagons of snowflakes tumbled by the window panes. She could have made it up whole cloth. She could have sewn the cotton out of her own life while the Thames froze over. She loved words, cats, long playing records, laughter, men, alcohol, cigarettes, the supernatural. It makes her a carnal list, pointless to rank five in diapers at once, a stench she claimed she never got used to. It gradually turns from clear to coffee. The river receives another river near its mouth and joins the mighty river to the south of Helena. Yonkapen are the lilies in the ditches, pretty bloom for a filthy drainage ditch, isn't it now? An Arkansas ark is not a rainbow, but an old iron bridge over troubled brown waters. The corniest collection of the earliest rays ordering an entirely different distribution of light and shade. I can imagine my friend V being blind and seeing everything. Marrying a dozen men and living alone. Having seven children and being barren. Toting an M16 that looked like a hoe. Whistling down a taxi in a cold capital. I could see the faded and ragged fields replaced by blue shadows on hills of snow or turning from a stag at the edge of the interstate into a freshwater pearl before more sediment entered the river than flowed from its mouth. Dear Abby, When Darrell and I were first married, he asked me to iron his undershorts. His mother always did. At first, I didn't mind because we had no children, but now have two, and I could save a lot of time tossing them in the dryer and folding them. But I tried that once, and I never heard the end of it. Daryl says he could feel the difference. What would you do? Dear, too much ironing. I would iron his underwear. You are wasting more energy complaining and arguing than it takes to iron seven pairs of shorts once a week. Everybody has a problem. What's yours? In Big Tree, people are reading their Bibles in bed. Their laces hang by their walking shoes. People are dreaming money, semen, and bow weevils on the creep. Graduate of the All White High School, first year of integration by choice. I did not participate, I was in the theater practicing. I was a smart kid and I sort of knew I was going to leave and that high school was just something that you had to go through to get to the rest of your life. All Negro High School Annual. Best Dancer. One of the boys beaten by the Night Riders. Biggest Wolf. Son of one of the boys bit blinded by the Night Riders. Friendliest. His brother who jumped from the overpass. Best Running Back. His cousin went pro in Canada. Smartest, her cousin, had his own car. He drove her to Ohio still wearing her cap and gown. Atmospheric washes of sound, play it muddy, play it freaking loud, lights sputtering and crackling. The only sure day thing in those days were the prices. Jack Spratt tea bags, only 19 cents. A whole fryer is 59 cents. A half gallon of Purex, 25 cents. Two pounds of oleo, 25 cents. Ivory soap, 10 cents a bar. Cherokee freestone peaches, five cans for a dollar. And the temperatures. Los Angeles enters its sixth day of rioting, 32 dead. Chicago's rebellion ends in two. KKK's lawyer dies in Birmingham. Hurricane Camille sacks past Christiane. The president of the Cosmos Club holds a tea. Soybean cyst nematode puts the county's crop under quarantine. Three Brinkley children die in an icebox. It's time to pick the cotton. She could have been a master teacher, but she said no, she couldn't. She said she had nothing but contempt for her teacher when she discovered she didn't know Swinburne. One ought to admit V could rise in record time to the condition of contempt. Her friend the actor. She once got on a wrathful tear about a particular member of Congress or some churlish priest and ended up on her feet in a lively enactment of how she would like to saw that M. F. in half left-handed. I guess an untidy job of it would hurt a lot more. She kept her Saigon cinnamon in her purse so the fifth boy child couldn't get his hands on it. Dragged her sewing machine to her porch because she did not want to have to look at it. When she had cancer after the last child was born and had a hysterectomy, she didn't want anyone to know. She didn't want them saying that poor woman with all those children and now she's got cancer. She completed the circle of this life in Hell's Kitchen. The attending doctor lived upstairs. He and his partner nailed a small brass plaque to the barren pair outside her window. Her name, date of birth, date of death. The mule train march has been canceled. The preachers are staying home. The march against fear is on. The man imported from Memphis is walking. The combines are moving into position. Local man, I was going to put a meat grinder on mine. The man imported from Memphis. One thing the white folks are going to have to learn. White folks don't pick the leaders for the black folks no more. Mayor of a town on the march route. We are determined that they shall not ravish our homes. Our men are armed and determined. We are preparing to defend our civil institutions. The threat is coming from the east. He is a known criminal, said the mayor. Probably a boaster, a braggart. We must assume that those who follow him are of the same get. After that, I would have followed Sweet Willie Wine into hell. The man imported from Memphis had never laid eyes on her before. This is not exactly a love story. She pulled up beside him on the curb on the wrong side of the street. He's dead, she yelled. He's dead. Who's dead? Hunter Crumb. He's dead. Having just seen the prosecutor in his office, having been there within the hour trying to obtain permits for the march, the invader is taken aback. He says to himself, this crazy white woman thinks I killed him. Now she's going to kill me. Come here. I want to give you something. No, I don't think I'll be coming over there, ma'am. No, come over here. I want to give you something. Mr. Invader thinks he's about to become Mr. Goner and politely declines to approach. She flings a gold chain at him and squalls off the curb. Bling, bling. That's how they met. Vines support an abandoned shack. Vines conceal abandoned farm implements. People are walking out of the ragged fields. Vines threaten the utility pole. Vines protect the copperhead from the hoe, cottonwoods flutter as one, bats at the cell tower. The tub in which James Earl Ray stood to slay the king has sold online. After the pool was drained for the season, they arrested the kids who marched to the white school, who stood and sang, like a tree planted by the water. They took them to the jailhouse and school buses. They took them to the drain pool and sealed 18-wheelers. The sheriff told them they were to be taken to the woods and there shot. Then the sheriff told them they were to be taken to the pool and there drowned. Granddaughter of V's babysitter, who was put in the pool she had never seen before then, he was one mean man, that sheriff. A pool, a dry, drained pool, Whatever else it is, is a big hole in the ground. A sealed truck, whatever else it is, is a sealed truck. The superintendent, you people are heading for serious trouble. If you don't stop this nonsense and leave these whites-only grounds right this moment, you students are hereby expelled from this school district, and if you don't get off the sacred white school grounds immediately, I'm going to have you arrested. Headline, The Negroes fail to move. The weather could break. The sheriff's button says never. The children's minds say never waver. V, rising to contempt, and that sheriff. May he be taken to the woods and there be made to sing like a tree planted by the water. May he be linked to the first rib he broke and it be fashioned of bronze and run through the end of his nose. He may then be taken to the pool, and there taught the dead man's float, and then be taken to the library, and there will his hideous pink testicles be removed by the assistant librarian and put in the terrarium with the resident spider. Dear Abby, friends of ours have a son who has gone the hippie's route. When we inquire about their children, they have others who are married and one who is in the service. Should we ask about their hippie son? Or should we just not mention him like he is dead? We know that they are pretty sick about the life he leads. Dear needs to know, knowing that your friends would be humiliated or embarrassed by the mention of their hippie son, don't mention him. Everybody has a problem. What's yours? Radio Ministry. Now the non-repentant homosexuals, they're declaring war on the gospel. Now the infidels are dying from the neck up. Now I didn't write the Bible. Now your old line churches are losing members. Now if I'm going to be saved, I have to be saved from something. The vile and the dirty and your lowdowns. It's not like joining the Rotary Club. Salvation, it's a heaven or hell issue. Now V, she wanted something entirely different to feel and transmit, the ethical this, that is not that. The gospel helps some bear the pain, helps bury the hurt. The swimming pool is also buried therein, and therefore this petition for relief, awaken to the task, call for calm, waver, never, forever, forward, backwards, never, it says on the ex-invader's machine. Vindication. After that, she would have followed Sweet Willie Wine into hell. Her husband would come home from work and she would be in a rage and he could not understand it. He would repair to his shed to build his models. There is a sanctuary in the mind made of balsa and glue, perfect little gliders constructed in perfect quietude. There is a sanctuary in the mind made of poetry and music and laughter, whiskey and cigarettes never run out and the ironing board is never in use. There is a sanctuary without the stench of diapers, the drone of the sewing machine, or the fretful pawing of rosaries. Dear Abby, My mother-in-law said she read in your column about how to make dirty diapers disappear. Dear Misinformed, I am not a magician. Everybody has a problem. V, deep down, she may have been as sad as a cover band. She might have felt drier than a clod of Arkansas dirt. Lonely, lonely, lonely. Like the hunter green suitcase that hadn't been used since her honeymoon. Some honeymoon, she told Gert with that off-color smile. She almost had to rape him. She said this near death as her executive organs were shutting down. And she was finishing the New York Times crossword, September second, in ballpoint. What is the suffix of book? Ish. Who is a major exporter of coconut oil? Samoa. A colorless liquid. Uso. A defeatist. Words. I. No space. Lose. The artist of the etching and aquatint. El sueño de la razón produce monstruos. Does it follow that the sleep of monsters produces reason? They march along here, the military road, the road that the road they walk, built by humpers. Those were the Irish. They pass Blackfish Lake, ditch number one, about where they crossed. Gerstocker slept here, bundled up in a buffalo skin. But first the Choctaw removal, then came the creek with ponies, then Chickasaw, then Cherokee, maybe Sequoia, among them his syllabary, nearly nearly finished. Now stood another anonymous racist calling them names, his rod extended, his line hung up in his own ignominy. In Hell's Kitchen Her apartment is smaller by by half than the shotgun shacks that used to stubble the fields outside of Big Tree, stained from decades of nonstop smoking. The world, according to V, was full of smoke and void of mirrors. She was not an eccentric. She was an original. She was congenitally incapable of conforming. She was resolutely resistant. Her low-hanging fears no match for her contumacy. Grappling hooks in the mud leaf out in the mind. She was my Goomba. Cats, Catholicism, alcohol, and men, she served them all. Children, she failed her own. Of that she was acutely aware. It was the grief of her existence. Some would say she was in full pursuit of her ruin. Some would call it her pathetic adventure. I would say you did not understand the magnitude of her longing. I say, where was the suitor to her senescence, another disaffiliated member of her tribe? I say, do we have to go through this every time, this shunning thing? Any simple problem can be made insoluble such as how to share, share an Alberta with the fuzz still on it. Crickets in the house are good, a crow is a bad sign. Empty rooms love the dark. The key to tranquility is equal opportunity. When the siren sounds, it's time for our curfew. Old moon a wrecking ball, the town under demolition from within. Color provides a structure, albeit soul-sucking. The woods were felled by Chicago mills. and Arkansas ark is not a rainbow, but an iron bridge over troubled waters. Dear Abby, I am 11 years old, but I know all the facts of life because I live in a dirty neighborhood. My problem is that in our family we get pregnant quick. My sister got pregnant when she was 16 just by sitting next to a boy in church. Can this be, dear young miss? No, somebody must have moved. <laughs> an object unworthy of love, she thought she was. It was a creed de coeur. Those of our get had given her a nom de guerre, V, a simple act to join a march against fear down an old military road. We were watching an old movie the night the table started walking toward us and there was trouble on division. She became a disaffiliated member of her race. I'm one of them now, she said upon release from jail. I'm an invader. To feel in conjunction with the changes of my time, the most alive I've ever been. My body lifted itself from the chair, it walked to where I saw a silent crowd. To act. Just to act, that is the glorious thing. Yet it has come to my attention that a whisper campaign has been directed against the main character, an invisible woman. She could have buried her feelings like power lines, walked around free and common as the air that bathes the globe. Or sued the chicken shits and gone to live in Provence smelling of Galois and café au lait. You have your life until you use it. You forfeit the only life you know or go to your grave with a song curdled inside you. No more damned if you did and damned if you didn't. Look into the dark heart and you will see what the dark eats other than your heart. The world is not ineluctably finished. Though the watch fires have been doused, more walls have come down, more walls are being built. Sound of the future uncanny, how close to the sound of the old. At daddy's eyes pusherman, still on the jukebox, everybody's past redacted. For me, it has always been a series of doors. If one is opened precipitously, a figure is caught bolting from bed. If another, a small table, a list of demands on school paper. If another, a child on the linoleum saying she wants a white doll. A woman sitting on a bed holding a folded flag, a shelf of trophies behind her head. An ironing board, bottle of bourbon on the end, sewing machine on a porch, to walk down the road without fear, to sit in a booth and order a sweet soft drink, to work at the front desk to be referred to as gentlemen, to swim in the pool, to sit in the front row and watch run wild, run free, next week death of a gunfighter, to make your own way to the end of the day with both eyes in your head. Nothing is not integral. You want to illumine what you see, fear reflected off an upturned face, those walnuts turning black in the grass. It is a relatively stable world, gentle reader, but beyond that door, it defies description. Thank you. Sure, sure, sure. I will have
0: some questions for Okay. <laughs> it's
2: your turn. Okay.
3: I met her um, through a friend of mine at college who grew up next door to her. Her name was Cecilia Grubmeyer. And uh, so I, she took me, I went over to her house and she immediately took me next door to V's. And so I saw her when I was working on this project um, and I said, so what, so what was it like growing up next door to V? And she said, she was my show and tell. Yeah. So. And she was mine, too. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: uh, you say in Cooling Time that you, you've all started calling her V when she was reading Pension. Right. Uh, is there any, like, about the name, does it, does it fit her because she's such, like, a great symbol of uh, feminism, like a strong feminism? Well, it
3: just, it worked, I mean we called her V, her last name, started with a V, her married name, and uh, and she was reading Pynchon, and we were, you know, a hundred years behind her, we were reading, you know, Dostoevsky. And uh, so we were always getting the word from her, the new word. Um, and uh, it, it, we just always called her that, sometimes we called her Ms. Vitato. But most of the time we called her V. We never called her by her first name, which was Margaret, and very few people did. Some people called her Peggy. Her close friends called her Peggy. Yeah. You know, I I don't know if I can. I I think I wanted to write a memoir and I realized I didn't want, really want to write a memoir, you know, that that was not that interesting finally to me to do. And um, so I felt like I could go at it any way I wanted to, for one thing. It was just an open door. And I could do as much or as little research as I wanted. I could interview people or not. I could um, call all of my friends who were her friend, you know, her friends also, and talk to them and email them, which I did. You know, it just it was wide open what I could do, and and uh, and of course I didn't have to stick strictly to the facts. Uh, but mostly the facts were pretty interesting. I mean, like the Dear Abby's, you know, were verbatim from the newspaper. And I thought that that and just the prices of food and the kinds of food that, you know, really did uh, contextualize the time and the place um, and how how people really did perceive things then, like the war and uh, um, other women and beatings that, Uh, prisons and, you know, all of that was on the table. And I felt like I could do that very succinctly, you know, without going into paragraphs and paragraphs of, you know, historical research. Um, I enjoyed the research. I did a lot. I mean, there's just a great wealth of literature on the civil rights and I found some real jewels that weren't as well-known that really fit my project. Um, So I felt I could uh you know put a lot of pressure on the language when I wanted to you know really really pack a paragraph if it were a proper paragraph or I could really distill it um and crystallize it and write very sparingly at times and in line just because it pleased me and it, I could um I could control the pacing uh by lineating and using space I guess it was things like that. You know, I could use the contrivances and devices and all the artifices available to poets who are familiar with them, you know, as they seem to suit the temperature of the material. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm
3: well it, it is just a simple message and actually I, I I that line came from a documentary I watched Um and I can't it, it was a you know people trying to save a church and they lost the battle but the way they came together to throw themselves at their cause. Um, and somebody said a, something like that, just to act. That was what was so, you know, it made people feel magnificent even though they lost the battle. So, and that's how I, I guess I it did sort of capture the whole thing that people acted according to their conscience. Um, you know, and they had a lot to lose by doing that. But um, one of the things I found was, for instance, um, the black students were involved in some of the activities that were going on, some of the organized things, like SNCC, a little few members of SNCC were there to help them, you know, articulate the movement there in that town, and also to keep it from really exploding. and i when i talked to the people who were kids in who are now in their late 50s and early 60s um, the there is the ones who obeyed their parents and didn't get involved really felt bad about it you know like they felt left out i mean they they just did what their parents told them to do. These are the black students who, you know, their mother said, don't get in that line, don't get in that line. If you get arrested, I'm not coming to see you. I'm not coming to ba- blah, 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 you know. And some, a few kids, you know, minded. <laughs> and they had regrets about it, even though no one blamed them, you know. And, um, and the kids who did, were involved, it is, um, well, some were traumatized, you know, because, the seal truck business was pretty heavy duty, um, and and the t- trauma stayed with them. You know, I mean, you if you had a conversation, you know, people would have meltdowns talking about it, even though they wanted to talk about it. Um, but most, for the most part, I found that people wore it as a great badge, you know, of of pride that they had acted, um, and certainly. V was very proud of her act. It cost her, her husband denounced her, she got arrested, her husband denounced her, divorced her, took custody of the children, she was run out of state, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there was a price to pay, but she didn't have regrets. So, um, I, I don't have quite to frame this question, but
1: when I was reading the book, and I think <coughs> class has this sort of experience, too, that like we know about a lot of things that happened during civil rights. I've seen documentaries. I've read lots of books. But there were a lot of things in the book um, that I had this sort of response to, like, like, oh, my God. And I was sort of wondering whether, um, since you, I guess you knew about what happened in Forest City before you went down there because you were friends with me, did you have any of those kinds of, Moments in encountering and hearing stories or encountering the facts of what these kids had been through, or I don't I, I was just sort of wondering if you if it was revelatory for you. I mean, oh, the sure, book, I think is revelatory for the reader, and right. I was just wondering whether that was also you know,
3: well, experience. yeah, sure, it was. I didn't know a lot of things that it had, I didn't know about the trucks and the drained swimming pool. and um, there were a lot of things that I didn't know. Um, um, I, I didn't, you know, I heard the story about um, her, from her babysitter's granddaughter, and then I met um, her brothers and her father. I heard stories from that whole family, because they had a family picnic on one of the days that I was there, um, about um, the night one of them had gotten arrested and when they let him loose, when they released him, they had already informed these men from the farms who who were night riders who came in to beat these two brothers up. They were kids, you know, and um, and the father went down to get them, and they beat him until he lost his eye, and then they the two boys hung, hung, hid under a truck, and then. Still had to run and one of them jumped off an overpass, etc. I mean, there were all kinds of things that incidents I hadn't known about, you know. <clears throat> um, and I heard a lot of those stories. I didn't tell but a few of them because I just telescoped it into some of them. <clears throat> but I mean, I was aware because I was in Memphis during those days, I was aware of that all the towns up and down the Delta were. You know, things were happening all over the place Um, in the year after King's death. Um, It it was a very decisive year, I think. You know, like the Brown decision was in 1954, and here it was 1969, and the schools were still, everything was still totally segregated. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I had a lot of, ma- oops, yeah. I had a lot of material. And
1: did you choose, um, did you just kind of weigh how you chose uh, historical general history versus the history of being and her life, or how did you
3: weigh, you know? I don't know, it's all, a, everything about writing is making decisions, which are really hard, it's very hard for me to make any kind of decision. You know, <laughs> I mean, I... I just wondered if they were... You know, labor go decisions try on paper. five different things to wear on any given day, when I'm not even going to leave the house, right. you know, so <laughs> my, writing decisions are excruciating, you know. But you're constantly doing. I mean, you're trying. T- I do like the whole uh, compositional field, you know. So I am interested in the book as an entity. So I'm weighing things, you know. Mm. Yes.
2: When you knew uh, these <clears throat> later. Up, leading up until her death, was this a time that she revisited at all? I know she didn't go back to Forest City, but like, did she revisit her, or was this just something that happened in her life and she moved on from
3: it? Well, uh, she moved on in right. her life. Her life moved on. Uh, she ended up going back uh, to Kentucky, where she was from, and then she ended up in, in New York. Um, and when she got to New York, it was the first time in her life she hadn't been a total freak, you know? <laughs> And people in New York, on her street, you know, it was like being on Cleopatra's barge walking down the street with V. I mean, people knew her, you know. Um, I mean, she was an anonymous woman, but she was like, people were, she was a magnet, you know. She was just so fascinating. She was so funny, and she was so smart, and she was so honest. She was just so unflinchingly honest, and... um so she was scary you know some but mostly people were very attracted to her um, but she stayed uh, furious her entire life about um injustices um but that was that that was the defining moment of her life i mean she you know as as she said it was the most alive she ever felt and it was it was the it was her she was liberating herself you know from from a small town, a mean town. <laughs> I have to say, it's a mean town. And uh, from, a, you know, really, um, her life was really limited. Um, her movement was limited, you know. Mm hmm. Um, well, this I think I saw this title on a little, little uh, sculpture of uh, Louise uh, Bourgeois. Uh, that I think that's where I got the title, and it was like three figures sort of glum together, and um, I liked it. Um, and then I, I think my husband told me it needed a subtitle to, so that because they wouldn't know what it was, you know, why this woman was in here, and. Um, But the other title I was going to give it was I'd written one short piece on her years before, and so it was a curse of hers, you know. But it was too much. It was by Jude G. McCramick, God damn it, to got dog's foot. And so I decided (laughs) against that one. (laughs) Uh-huh. Well, I, you know, um, no, people remembered her, you know, people who had, who had stayed, um, and she had a, one of her best friends was still there, and so I spent some time with her. Um, the, her next door neighbor um, um, lived, uh, not the Grubmeyers, they had left, but her, her other next door neighbor knew who she was, but they didn't, they weren't in communication that um, she remembered her. <laughs> um, there were, you know, people her age remembered her. Okay. Um, so, thanks
1: for coming.
3: Thank you.
2: This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U.
3: Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu.